0: Welcome to Murder Minute. On today's episode, a series of mysterious deaths set off nationwide panic. But first, your true crime headlines. After three days of searching, police in South Carolina located the body of six-year-old Faye Wetlick, who went missing from her front yard after getting off of her school bus. The young girl's body was found in a wooded area not far from where she went missing, and her death is being investigated as a homicide. Police also announced the discovery of a deceased male who lived in the same neighborhood as the murdered girl. He has been identified as 30-year-old Cody Taylor. Police have stated that there is evidence that the two deaths may be linked, but they have not yet provided any further details. The street preacher known as Philly Jesus has sued the city of Philadelphia for allegedly violating his First Amendment rights after a December incident at the city's Christmas village. The suit was filed in Philadelphia's federal court by the 33-year-old man whose real name is Michael Grant. Grant alleges that he was preaching peacefully at the annual holiday market and that he had set out a basket for donations. According to his complaint, a police officer approached and told him to stop preaching in the area. He refused, asserting his right to free speech. He claims that two officers dragged him across the street where he was handcuffed and detained for around 30 minutes before being given a citation for failure to disperse. In the suit, he claims to have suffered pain and emotional distress, financial losses, and a violation to his right to freedom of expression and freedom of religion. The recovering heroin addict turned street preacher has been dressing as Jesus and walking the streets of Philadelphia for more than five years. He made headlines in 2016 after his arrest for refusing to leave an Apple store in the city, claiming it was his First Amendment right to preach in the store. In that case, he was found guilty of defiant trespass. Grant's attorneys asked for the $400 filing fee to be waived, stating that their client is homeless and has no reliable source of income. A judge granted the fee waiver, allowing the case to continue. He is seeking unspecified damages. A Virginia Uber driver is in jail facing felony kidnapping charges after his passengers broadcast their terrifying ride on Facebook Live. 38-year-old Olufemi Olumola picked up John Murray and Tamika Swan just before 8 p.m. at their home in Richmond. The couple, bound for a dinner date, were riding in Olumola's vehicle when it was rear-ended by another driver. That driver fled the scene, and Olumola gave chase speeding through red lights and stop signs as Murray live-streamed the pursuit. In the video, Swan can be heard shouting out street names to a 911 operator and pleading with the driver to pull over. After nearly missing a bicyclist and colliding with another vehicle, Olumola did eventually pull over and let the couple out. He faces two kidnapping charges, as well as charges of reckless driving and felony hit and run, according to police. He is scheduled to return to court on April 21st. Those are your true crime headlines. Up next, seven deaths in 1982 and the chaos that followed. But first, a quick break. Welcome back to Murder Minute. On the morning of Wednesday, September 29th, 1982 in Elk Grove Village just outside of Chicago, Illinois, a sleepy 12-year-old Mary Kellerman woke up for school. But Mary wasn't feeling well. She complained to her parents that she had a sore throat and a runny nose. Her parents decided to keep her home and gave her some medicine to ease her cold symptoms. At 7 a.m., Mary collapsed on the bathroom floor, unresponsive. When the paramedics arrived, the 12-year-old was in full cardiac arrest. Paramedics rushed Mary to the hospital. But by 10 a.m., Mary was dead. That same day in Arlington Heights, Adam Janus, a 27-year-old postal worker, was celebrating his anniversary with his wife and daughter. Adam told his wife that he wasn't feeling well and said that he was going to lay down for a quick nap. When his daughter came in to check on him, she noticed that her father was turning blue. She called her mother for help, and they quickly called 911. The paramedics found Adam unresponsive, his breathing labored, and his blood pressure very low. They rushed him to the hospital, but it was too late. Adam Janus died of what appeared to be a massive heart attack. The family was in shock. Adam had always been healthy. Around 3.45 p.m., 27-year-old Mary Weiner of Winfield, Illinois, was at home recovering after giving birth to her fourth child. Her mother-in-law was in the living room taking care of the newborn when Mary suddenly fell to the floor she was pronounced dead at the hospital. At 5 p.m., back in Arlington Heights, Adam Janice's younger brother Stanley and sister-in-law Teresa rushed to his home to grieve with Adam's widow and their loved ones. As the family tried to process the sudden death of Adam, Stanley clutched his chest. Oh, my heart, he said, and collapsed foaming at the mouth just four hours after adam's death the paramedics found themselves back at the janice house something was wrong as paramedics tried to save stanley his wife teresa fell to the floor within hours 25 year old stanley was dead 19 year old teresa died soon after it was clear that these were not heart attacks. At first, investigators suspected carbon monoxide poisoning, but this theory was quickly ruled out as only a few family members were affected. Fearing something contagious, the family was quarantined at the hospital as doctors and investigators looked for answers. Lieutenant Chuck Kramer called in the Arlington Heights Village nurse, Helen Jensen, an old friend, to assist them in their investigation. When Helen arrived at the hospital, she found Adam's wife. I asked her to tell me the story, Helen recalled. The story was that the whole family was at the house. Stanley suffered from backache. He was complaining about his backache. He asked his wife, Teresa, if she would get him a couple Tylenol. She brought him two Tylenol, and then she took two Tylenol. He went down, and she went down. Helen went to the house and retrieved the bottle, and the receipt for the Tylenol, which had been purchased by Adam Janus earlier that morning. She emptied the bottle and found six pills missing. It's got to be the Tylenol, Helen told the investigators. Something's wrong with the Tylenol. Investigators had discovered the link between these five deaths that would soon set off a nationwide panic. All of the victims had taken extra-strength Tylenol capsules shortly before their deaths. Dr. Edmund Donahue, who worked on the case as Cook County's deputy chief medical examiner, asked one investigator over the phone to smell the bottles. Classically, the smell of cyanide is described "'as bitter almonds,' said Donahue. "'The smell was unmistakable. "'In that instant, this became a murder investigation. "'Then at 6.30 p.m., Mary McFarland, "'a 31-year-old mother of two, became victim number six "'when she collapsed in the break room at work "'after complaining of a headache.'" Police tested the bottles retrieved from the victims' homes and confirmed that the capsules had been opened and the powder inside had been replaced with potassium cyanide. Cyanide works by restricting the flow of oxygen to the body. Within minutes of taking the poison, the victim becomes dizzy and disoriented as the brain loses oxygen. The vision soon blurs and the victim falls into a coma before succumbing to the deadly poison. Police knew that they had to warn the public
1: The day began with Cook County medical examiners issuing what amounted to a nationwide Tylenol alert. Deputy Chief Medical Examiner Edmund Donahue. I think the only safe course here is that uh, uh, people should refrain from taking extra strength Tylenol, the 500 milligrams capsules. Uh, The problem was the medical examiners didn't know how the poison got into the capsules.
2: Did it happen in the plant, in a drugstore, or at the victim's home? People across the country are being warned not to take it, just to be safe until uh, further investigation, until we can uh, perhaps uh, determine where the contamination took place. uh, uh, If if it were me, I wouldn't take them. The deaths are being treated as murder. Police are trying to figure out how the capsules were tampered with where and by whom. However, manufacturing error has not been entirely ruled out yet.
0: But the warning was too late for 35-year-old flight attendant Paula Prince. Our top story, authorities in Chicago have officially confirmed the death of a 7th victim from Tylenol capsules laced with deadly cyanide. Found two days later, Paula had also died on September 29th, but wasn't found until she didn't show up for her next flight. Paula had purchased the extra strength Tylenol from Walgreens. The death toll now stood at 7. In 1982, Tylenol was the best-selling over-the-counter pain reliever sold in the United States. There were more than 31 million bottles in circulation. How many more poisoned pills could still be sitting on the shelf? Or worse, how many may have already been purchased? And was it just the Tylenol? Poisoning towel can I help you? For
2: nearly one solid hour, nurses at the Orlando Regional Medical Center comforted fears of local residents. Here, nurses report no cyanide cases. We are letting know what the de- what the number is, the lot number, and giving them some symptoms and just
0: basically res- reassurance.
2: Stores checked their extra strength Tylenol stock. Many stores removed it, like stores in 31 other states. But here, some stores left the product, pending further word from their corporate headquarters this bottle of tylenol came from a box with a manufacturer's code that was different than the code reportedly contaminated
1: none of the merchandise we had in our stores matched the manufacturer code number that was supposed to be contaminated so why'd you pull it off the shelf just to be on the safe side until we can find more information out on it
2: the tylenol manufacturer has recalled 93,000 bottles of the suspect lot they were manufactured in august Florida did receive some of those bottles. Medical authorities in Chicago are recommending that no one take the Tylenol capsule until authorities obtain more information.
0: McNeil Consumer Products, a subsidiary of Johnson & Johnson, manufactured the medicine. The bottles known to be poisoned had originated from different production plants and had been sold in different drugstores in and around Chicago. So investigators quickly ruled out, tampering during production. Police concluded that whoever had poisoned the tablets likely took the Tylenol bottles from different stores in the Chicago area over a period of several weeks, added the cyanide to the capsules, and then returned the bottles to the shelves. Chicago police drove through the streets with loudspeakers warning residents not to take Tylenol.
1: That takes Tylenol, for the notice. Police have done everything possible to make sure everyone knows about the Tylenol problems. And in Chicago, all city ambulances have been equipped with a cyanide antidote kit.
0: Drugstores and supermarkets across the nation removed the medication from their shelves as state and local health officials issued warnings and orders of their own, the New York Times reported. Thousands of worried people who had taken the drug flooded hospitals, doctors' offices, and municipal poison control centers with telephone calls for information.
1: As far as we know, the children's tylenol, the chewable, have not been implicated yet.
0: Exactly what is going on right now, they're just assuming that it could be the cyanide-laced capsule also.
1: The phone has been ringing off the hook at Rush Presbyterian St. Luke's Medical Center in Chicago. It's the regional poison control center for the entire Chicago area. Here. Poison specialist, Lane
2: Oh, We've been receiving calls uh, about once every 15 seconds. At the Rush Presbyterian, St. Luke's, we only have three poison lines. And they're lit up constantly, ever since yesterday morning.
1: Right now, they're telling people which lots of Tylenol are known to have contaminated capsules and checking to see if callers have displayed any symptoms of cyanide poisoning. If
2: uh, they have it, tell them to go in the emergency room. If they don't have that and they took it yesterday, we just tell them, you're, you're probably going to have no problem with it. Just hold on to the bottle don't take any Tylenol extra strength for the time being until you hear otherwise. Most of what's
1: going on here is informational. Officials here say right. if anyone has taken a cyanide-laced Tylenol capsule, well, they, they probably wouldn't, wouldn't, wouldn't be able to make it to they the phone to it. call. They used to. I'm Jeff Lock, CNN, at Rush Presbyterian St. Luke's Medical Center in Chicago.
0: Despite assurances by officials that the contamination appeared to be limited to the Chicago area, there were widespread fears that others might fall victim elsewhere and across the country. There was a sudden awareness by consumers of their own vulnerability. In an effort to reassure the public, Johnson & Johnson issued a massive nationwide recall at a cost of $100 million, equivalent to $265 million today, and pulled their commercials off the air.
2: A deadly pattern emerging in Chicago has prompted a nationwide recall of a top-selling pain reliever.
0: In early October, after testing one and a half million bottles, Johnson & Johnson found three more unopened, cyanide-poisoned Tylenol bottles. One came from a drugstore in a Chicago suburb, one from a home medicine cabinet, and the third was returned by a customer to a drugstore it made no sense Tyrone C Fainer a former Illinois Attorney General told the New York Times there was no clear and intended victim but just anyone anyone who happened to have the misfortune to buy a bottle of Tylenol but the danger was far from over following the Tylenol deaths hundreds of copycat incidents occurred across the nation The U.S. Food and Drug Administration documented over 270 incidents of product tampering. Pills were tainted with everything from rat poison to hydrochloric acid. And parents reported finding pins concealed in Halloween candy, which had also been poisoned. Many communities even banned trick-or-treating. Investigators struggled to find evidence leading them to identify a suspect, and Johnson & Johnson stepped in. The company cooperated with investigators and offered a $100,000 reward for any information that might identify and convict the, quote, person or persons responsible for the murders.
2: The makers of extra-strength Tylenol have offered a $100,000 reward for information leading to the conviction of the person responsible for poisoning those capsules with cyanide.
0: Calls flooded in to the TIP hotline, but no credible leads were found. Police believed that they might be looking for a disgruntled former employee of Johnson & Johnson. Then, Johnson & Johnson in Brunswick, New Jersey received a letter with the word Tylenol written on the envelope. The letter took credit for the poisonings and promised to repeat them unless they met his demands. One million dollars to stop the killings. The letter was turned over to the FBI and through fingerprints handwriting, and the envelope used, investigators were able to identify its sender. James William Lewis of New York City. Lewis had once been charged with a 1978 Kansas City murder after police found the remains of one of his neighbors, Raymond West, dismembered and placed in bags in Lewis's attic. But the charges against Lewis were dropped after a judge ruled that the police search of Lewis's home was illegal. On December 13, 1982, police arrested Lewis in New York City. After a lengthy investigation, police and federal investigators concluded that James William Lewis, though likely a murderer, was unlikely to be Chicago's Tylenol killer because they couldn't place him in the city at the time. Lewis was, however, charged with extortion and in June of 1983 was sentenced to 20 years in prison. He was paroled in 1995 after serving only 13 years. After many years of pursuing other potential suspects, including the Unabomber, the case went cold and the Tylenol killer was never found. Before the 1982 crisis, Tylenol controlled more than 35% of the -the over-the-counter pain reliever market. And after the murders, that number plummeted to less than 8%. Many believed that the company would never recover. They even considered changing their name. Instead, the company focused on a solution that would go on to change how food and drugs have been packaged ever since. Working with FDA officials In 1983, Tylenol introduced new tamper-proof packaging. Foil seals, cotton wads, child-proof caps, plastic strips, and more features that would make it obvious to a consumer if tampering had occurred. The company also introduced a new version of their pills, the Caplet, a tablet coated with slick, easy-to-swallow gelatin, replaced the easily opened capsules. Alan Hilberg, a communications and branding consultant who was part of a public relations team enlisted by Johnson & Johnson, explained the decision to the New York Times. We concluded that we were never going to be judged by what caused the problem. We were always going to be judged on how we responded to it. They were right. Within a year, Tylenol's sales rebounded and reclaimed its place as the nation's best-selling over-the-counter pain reliever. Johnson & Johnson was viewed as an exemplar of corporate responsibility, and their handling of the crisis became the standard for future recalls. In 1983, the U.S. Congress passed the Tylenol Bill, making it a federal offense to tamper with consumer products. And in 1989, the FDA established federal guidelines for all such product manufacturers to meet Tylenol's tamper-proof standard. Today, the FDA's over-the-counter packaging requirements require drug makers to advise on the label how to recognize whether it has been previously opened. These tamper-evident features include the use of logos, breakable seals, blister packs, and tape. It shifted our perception of the packaging, said Jay Kennedy, an assistant professor in the School of Criminal Justice and the Center for Anti-Counterfeiting and Product Protection at Michigan State University. But it also raised our awareness and made us conscious of the risks that exist. Monica Janis, who was in the house when her two uncles and aunt were poisoned, sees this as the silver lining to what happened in 1982. I see them looking down at all of us. I know they're thinking this was a positive for the world, she told Dr. Patel and Michael Nedelman of CNN. Everywhere that you go, when you go to a store, everything is sealed, and the seals are there to protect the human race from people tampering with the products. Maybe this was supposed to happen to save other people's lives. The next time you're struggling to open a child-proof lid on a bottle, or frustrated fighting to rip open that tamper-proof seal, remember what happened in 1982. The Tylenol killer may still be out there, and that may be the only thing stopping him. This has been Murder Minute, For true crime anytime, download the Murder Minute app or follow us on Instagram at Murder Minute.